Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Uh, why don't you turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, Happy Palm Sunday. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's cheesy. I think my son's in the room. He's like, oh, geez, Dad. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was getting ready for Palm Sunday, and, um, and if you know me, this is a little slice into the humanness of Ryan. I, I thought, you know what would be really cool for Palm Sunday is a shirt that had palms on it. I was like, that would be really cool. And so it got lodged in my brain, and I couldn't let it go. So I started searching. I was like, i got to find like a Palm Sunday shirt, you know. Uh, and then I found myself on, on Amazon, and I found like an Amazon brand shirt, which I've never bought in my life. And uh, I was like, hey, it's got palms on it. Great. Order. It's going to be here tomorrow. You know, that's what happens with Amazon. And I uh, ordered the shirt, and I, I got it. And in the, in the mail, and I looked at it, and I was like, well, it doesn't quite look like it looked online, but I'm like, it's probably fine. So I put it on our kitchen table. Uh, my wife came home, and she looked at it, and she said, this is the most hideous shirt I have ever seen in my life. And she said, I won't even let you try it on. It's so bad. Well, I'll just send it back for you. And I was like, wow, there's got to be a nicer way to say that. But I appreciate it. Well, you know, duly noted. Um, and so then we were getting ready for... Uh, a garage sale. We had a garage sale, uh, yard sale uh, yesterday. And, um, and I was going through my shirts, and I found a button-up shirt that had palm, palm branches on it. I was like, I had it the whole time. So I ironed it. I got all ready. I put it on this morning, and I was like, I don't like it. And I took it off and put this thing on. And it's got weird little, I don't know, little things on there. But um, why am I saying this? Um, my shirt did not go as planned. I did not have a plan for the shirt. And as I was going through uh, this story of the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday, I really do believe this is a story of this did not go as planned. This did not go like the disciples thought it would go. This did not go like all the people who were familiar with Jesus, how they thought that it was going to go. And this is the beginning of Holy Week. This is the very first week where we start this kind of procession. And as a, as a staff, we were thinking about Easter this year. And again, we're doing Holy Week, and we've got our Wednesday prayer night, and Thursday uh, we've got our dinner, which is almost full. So if you want to come, uh, make sure you register for that today. Um, but we're doing all of these things, these, these things for Holy Week, because Easter is not just a day, Right? Um, hopefully, as followers of Jesus, we are living in the light of the resurrection every day, right? That's the, that's the hope that we have. That is, that is the kingdom that we belong to now because of Jesus and what he did. So we're living in the hope of the, the resurrection all the time. But Easter, it's really a beautiful opportunity for us to put ourselves in the place of the disciples, put ourselves in the place of that moment, because this was not a plan that was hatched by man. It did not make sense to the people that were there. And we have the benefit of looking back and we go, we know what happened after the death, after the crucifixion, there was the resurrection. But people living at the time, they did not see that at all, even those that were closest to Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark 11. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version if you're ADD like me and you really want to know uh, what I'm, <laughs> what word for word what I'm reading, reading from the ESV. Uh, starting in verse 1. Mark 11 says this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, 
Why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. As a total side note, what's so funny about this is like, this is like me telling one of you, hey, could you run down to downtown Phoenix just real quick? There is a Ford Bronco. It's parked out in front of this building. Just, just grab it for me and bring it back here. And if anyone hassles you about it, just tell them the, the Lord has need of it. The Lord needs it. <laughs> like this is, this is a, a crazy way to start this. But it's so beautiful. The, I mean, even these little miracles that Jesus is doing, like he knows that there's this cult tide. He knows it's never been ridden. It's beautiful. Uh, and they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them uh, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches uh, that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna is, it's interesting. It really means save us now. Like you could just feel the people are going, bring some sort of redemption right now. Like we need somebody to come and set this thing right. Hosanna in the highest. Like it's this, this place of honor. It's this place of it, throwing the word in the highest even means that it's from God. Like you are a king sent by God. Please save us. Please redeem us now. And this is what the crowds are saying to Jesus. What's so important is understanding the context that this leads us into. So the, the context right before the triumphal entry Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Word has spread about that, and that's no small thing, right? Everybody is excited. There is this kingdom sort of feeling going on, this, this idea that Jesus is this coming king that we've been waiting for. People, as he's praying for them, praying for them to be healed, they're starting to call him son of David. And this is a very clear phrase where they're going, you are the coming king. You will reestablish that political reign here on earth just like David did. And you're going to give us something to be proud of, something that we could sink our teeth into, something that will bring real lasting political redemption to us. This is the fervor that's starting to build. People are being healed Lazarus was raised from the dead. So Jesus comes in, and the triumphal entry um, really is this moment where he's walking in that sort of fervor of what's going on. For a little more context, let's turn to, to Matthew uh, 21. So this story is in all four Gospels, uh, which means to us there is something about this story that is very important. If you got your Bibles, uh, Matthew 21, starting in verse 10 says this, right after the triumphal entry. Um, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So you got to imagine there's a, there's a guy walking down Central, and there's a huge crowd of people following him. We all come out, and we go, what is that? What's going on? <laughs> you know, people are going, who is this guy? Who is this, this guy that everybody's following? And anybody who knows Jesus is saying, this is, and they almost get it right, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Uh, starting in verse 12, it says this, and then Jesus entered the temple 
And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Just a little side note on this. So there's festivals going on. There are Jewish festivals happening in Jerusalem. So not only is Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he's coming into Jerusalem while there are a ton of people there from various regions, various areas that speak different languages, that have different money. So they're all coming together. And in the temple, they're coming to bring their offering, right? They're coming to atone for sin. So there are people that are selling pigeons, and then there are money changers that are there. So I want you to imagine if we as a staff, we stood out in front of Living Streams, we said, hey, welcome to Living Streams. Uh, to worship, you have to bring an offering that you got to buy over there. And you go, oh, okay, great. Um, but the problem is we're selling it in pesos. So you've got to go exchange your money over there before you come in. And so everyone's going, oh, okay. And there's two steps here that are ripping people off. There are money changers that are giving them a very bad exchange for their money. And then they're buying pigeons that are coming in. And Jesus comes in, just like we were talking about in Galatians, he comes in with that righteous anger, that active goodness uh, that's in the fruit of the Spirit. It's this active goodness that Jesus comes in and he starts flipping tables because he says, this is not the heart of my Father. This should be a house of prayer. And you're turning it into a den of thieves. You're ripping people off. You're trying to get rich off of their, the atonement for their sins. And that is not right. And Jesus is cleaning house. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Then he says this. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? The people that are most afraid of Jesus at this point are the political leaders and the religious leaders. They're coming in and they're going, I know what Jesus is doing and this is scaring me. And it doesn't matter that Jesus is preaching and that he's healing people right in front of the eyes of the Pharisees. Their hearts are hardened to that and they're going, do you see what's going on? There is a political fervor that's being built around Jesus and they are nervous. As I was doing some study in this, um, I started studying... Uh, a little bit of history that happened between um, Malachi and Matthew. There's, there's about 390 years between Malachi and Matthew. Um, and there's a story called the Maccabean uh, Revolution that happened. Um, and in the Maccabean Revolution, ultimately there was, uh, the Greeks were in charge of Jerusalem. Uh, and they were coming into the temple and they were putting their own Greek statues in the temple. Uh, they were putting their own idols in the temple. They weren't allowing uh, Jews to... to to um, bring their offerings. They weren't allowing them to celebrate any of their festivals. So there was this deep oppression that was going on in the people. And there was this family called the Maccabees. Uh, they were a, a, a famous family. And, uh, and they stood up against, and they led a revolt against the Greeks about 140 years before this happened with Jesus. And there's a story of this man named Simon Maccabeus in, uh, in 140 B.C., and he pushed out the Greeks. He pushed them out 
of that region. They took that over. The crowds were cheering for him. And as he came into Jerusalem, they laid palm fronds at his feet. They laid plants at his feet. So he walked down into Jerusalem like that. The very first thing that Simon did as he came into Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple. And he's like, we got to clean this thing out. And they took all the Greek statues, all the idols. They pulled everything out of uh, the temple and they restored it back to what it should be. And this happened 140 years before Jesus. So for us, the context would be like 140 years ago. Uh, who, who could we talk about? Well, roughly it would be Abraham Lincoln, right? So if I came in here with a top hat and I said four score and seven years ago, everyone in this room would say, not only is that a weird intro to a sermon, but you're referencing Abraham Lincoln for some weird reason. Um, we all know that, right? We, we know that reference. And this is something that Jesus isn't setting this up. This reference is kind of happening around him. And it is a prophetic image of what he is going to do. Um, but people are laying these palm fronds and all the people in charge are watching this happen. And they're getting more and more nervous. The, the, the fervor in Jerusalem is building to a crescendo that they're going, we don't know if we can control this anymore. Jesus is coming in and people are laying palm fronds on just like they did for Simon. And this is... The, the prophetic image of what's going to happen, and they're getting nervous. And as Jesus is coming in, the expectation on him politically is huge. Everyone's going, this is the king. But because we have the benefit of sitting where we do in history, we know that in less than a week, everybody that is shouting Hosanna as David, as, as Paul, or I will get it at some point. As Jesus comes in, everyone who is shouting Hosanna eventually starts shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Because their expectation on what Jesus was going to bring and what he actually did were at odds with each other. And in some ways, and it's so hard for us to wrap our head around it, they were deeply disappointed. They were like, this was the, this was the leader that was come, coming to set everything right again. He was going to set us free they're not thinking spiritually. <laughs> we know that. We know the kingdom that Jesus brought was different, but they didn't understand that. And this had been prophesied about. In Zechariah 9.9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal, foal, fowl, foal? Full, thank you. Uh, full of a donkey. I said it wrong the first service, and then just now I just got very nervous saying that word. Um, <laughs> the full of a donkey. All, all the disciples knew this. All the religious leaders knew this. There were so many things. There were political references. There were um, prophecies that were being fulfilled right in front of their eyes, and they're like, this is it, the coming king. And I think a lot of us, we, we read this story, and we go, gosh, if only they had known, right? Like, they just didn't understand. They didn't see what Jesus was doing. He was about something different. But the thing that's so funny about this story is Jesus told them, right? Like, he did not leave this to question. Uh, in, in Mark uh, chapter 10, Jesus says this. They're having a conversation about him coming into Jerusalem, and he says this. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered 
over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. I guarantee the disciples were like, oh, that's kind of a weird teaching, Jesus. I don't know. Is that another par- parable? Maybe he's, maybe he's talking in a parable, right? Like he can't actually be saying he's going to be flogged and spit on and die. That, that can't be it. James and, and, and John, immediately after this verse, they come to Jesus and they go, hey, so when you become king, can we sit at your right and left hand? Is that cool? Like, could we, can we have a big, big part in your cabinet, you know, when you come into power? Like, they've completely missed it. And you can sense Jesus is like, I just told you. I was just so clear. Like, I am about to go die a humiliating death. And then I'm going to defeat it and be raised three days later. And you're asking me, can I sit at your right and left hand? And he's going, you don't get it. You don't understand. I'm bringing a different kingdom. I think a lot of us, we're, we're prone to assess our situation with our eyes. We're prone to look at the world around us and go, well, this is it, you know. This is what's going on politically. This is what's going on in the world. I've got my head wrapped around it. I understand it. We set an expectation, whether we know it or not, on what God is going to do. Well, God's logically going to do this and this, right? Clearly, God's going to do this and this before we get to that point, right? And time and time again, the last few years, we've woken up going, ooh, wow, that seems bad. (laughs) Wow, that's a pretty big disappointment. Didn't think that would happen in my lifetime. Some of us are kind of numb from it, right? We've, we get so many of them, we're like, I don't, even, I don't even know. Like, there's so many things changing in the world. And I've said this so many times, but it's so important for us right now. If we are weaving the peace in our life to what's going on in the world around us, we're going to be really lacking in peace, right? If we are, are, are sinking our hope into this world getting better and and nicer and more unified, we're going to be very disappointed. Because much like the disciples, Jesus has told us stuff too. Jesus said, we're going to go through persecution. He said, the world won't understand us. The world is persecuting us because they're persecuting him. He's told us that the the world is not going to be a beautiful, peaceful place all the time. And he he spoke very clearly about wars and rumors of wars. And, you know, whenever we're sitting in front of officials and we got to talk about our faith, this was not another parable. Jesus was telling us, you have to be ready for that. You have to be prepared for that. And a lot of us are hoping, well, hopefully it doesn't get to that. And I I hear you. There's a lot of me that says, "I, I hope it doesn't get to that either. But when our hope is anchored into the kingdom of God, when our hope is anchored into what Jesus brought, it's a different kingdom. And we don't have to have fear. Jesus said, fear not. When you hear about all this stuff, do not be afraid. Not because you're trying to stuff it and hide it and just ignore it. It's because you could see what's going on in the world and you go, that's okay. I belong to a different kingdom. No problem. I expect things to get bad. I've been prepared for that. I've been ready for it. And I want to tell people about Jesus in the midst of it. This is what Jesus has been trying to tell us. And and when you read this story, you go, well, it's easy to poke fun at the disciples. Well, they didn't believe Jesus when he told them that he was going to die. 
Well, some of us maybe aren't believing Jesus and the things that he told us to be ready for too. And we have to be ready. We gotta know that what he wants is greater than what we want. His plans are greater than our plans. And I know that makes like a really great like applause line for us on a Sunday morning, but it's true. He has better plans than you do for the world. He's got better plans than I do for the world. And the hope that we have is Jesus is going, look, things will get worse before they get a lot better. And we have the hope of his second coming. That is a hope as followers of Jesus that we have to be anchored to. He will come back. He will set it right. There will be a moment when we go, ah, it all makes sense. And all of the fear and all of the, you know, looking at the, the, the situations in the world, all of that will feel small in comparison to the greatness of the returning king, Jesus. That is what we have to look forward to. But in the meantime, we have to know that what we expect God to do and what he does a lot of times are two different things. Years ago when my wife and I, um, uh, we led our first team to, to Cambodia and we were getting ready for, for the trip and we were getting ready to, to go and so we were calling the pastor and we're going, hey, what kind of ministry can we do in Phnom Penh when we get there? And he's listing all these things and my wife and I are writing them down and, and then we have people on our team who've never been on a missions trip and if you've never been on a missions trip, most people are nervous before they go. They go, what are we going to be doing? You know, what kind of things are we going to be, are we, what kind of ministry are we doing? And so as a leader, you do your best to try to come up with some stuff going, hey, this is the ministry that we're doing. And so my wife and I did that. We got on the phone with um, the pastor and that we were going to be staying with, and he laid all this stuff out, and we, we shared it with the team. Uh, we got on the airplane, and we took off toward Phnom Penh, and we land, and and we've got this great plan. Our team is a little tired, but they're ready to do ministry. And so the pastor comes, and, and we, we were going to have a few days of rest before we, we dove into ministry. And we said, okay, so next week we're starting this ministry and this ministry and this ministry, right? And he said, oh, ah, I forgot to tell you. He said, it's, uh, it's Chinese New Year. And we said, oh, oh, okay. So like for a couple of days, we can't do ministry. And he said, well, for about a month, everybody that lives in the city moves out of Phnom Penh, and they go hang out with their family. And we said, a month? And he said, yeah. And so we said, okay, so can we go downtown and do this? He said, no, nah, you can't do that. And then we went through our another, can we do this? He said, no, there's really nobody here. And he said, honestly, we don't even have church services because there's nobody in the city. And my wife and I were like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, like information that would have been really helpful yesterday. You know, like this would have been really help, helpful for us to know ahead of time. And uh, so we said, okay, well, you know, when you're leading a team, you go, well, we could only prayer walk for so many days. Like, we got to do some, some ministry. And, and so we, we talked with some local missionaries, and they said, there's an orphanage that's not very far from Phnom Penh. And uh, they said it's about a 40-minute boat ride up the Mekong. And um, it, they said, it's been really special ministry for us. We would really recommend it. And we said, okay. So... Um, get our team together, and, and we show up at this orphanage. And, um, and it's an older couple that started it. They're a couple in their 60s in, um, uh, in Australia, and they felt the Lord say, I want you to move to the middle of nowhere in Cambodia and start this orphanage. And they just said, okay. And they were an amazing couple, really faith-filled couple. couple. And um, we, we showed up at their orphanage in just a, a, a room with just a wood floor, um, 
like bamboo wood, you know, not like, like we have with engineered hardwood bamboo. No, it's like sheets of bamboo, you know, uh, no windows, nothing. And we walk in and I'll never forget walking into that room. And there's a, there's a boy that's playing guitar. Uh, he had busted a string, I don't know how long ago. So he had five strings and he was doing the best with it. And he didn't seem to miss the sixth string. And he was strumming and, and singing worship songs and and there were all these kids right when we came in that were just on their knees, just weeping and worshiping and singing so loud. And I walked in and I thought, gosh, I thought I worshiped and I had no idea what real devotion to Jesus looked like until I saw that room. And there were kids in there. There's was, there was one kid in particular, he had scars all over his face and he was probably about 10 or 11 at this point, but uh, his mom had AIDS and, and uh, she dropped him off at the orphanage. She just left him literally at the doorstep of the orphanage. And she said, I'm dying soon. Hopefully you could take care of my son, but he has AIDS too. So I don't know how long he's going to last. And this couple just lovingly every night took care of this baby. And they, they told us, they said, <clears throat> they said, we thought we were just going to comfort him before he died, you know, so they're caring, caring for this baby. And they've been praying for him and uh, singing over him and all these things. And, and then one day he acted kind of hungry and they gave him a little bit of food. And then the next day he was even more hungry and they gave him a little more food. And then soon they started to realize the sores on his face were starting to get healed up. They were scabbing over and they looked like they were getting better. And they told us, they said, we don't know when it happened, but at some point we realized this kid does not have AIDS anymore. Like clearly he had AIDS when he came in, but he doesn't anymore. And that little boy was standing there worshiping. They told us that story and then I saw him and I was like, I don't know what theological framework to put that in, but I just know the Lord is here and he's doing amazing things. And my wife and I felt so like humbled. We were going, what can we do here? You know, you guys are amazing. You guys are doing such amazing kingdom work. What can we possibly do? Uh, and he said, well, what do you know how to do? And there was a guy on our team. He said, well, I used to wrestle in high school. And he's like, great, teach him that, you know. And we're like, are you sure? That seems not very spiritual to teach wrestling, you know. And he's like, no, it's great. They're going to love it, you know. And, uh, and my wife, she was an elementary school teacher. She's like, I'll teach, you know, some art projects. They're like, great, that's awesome. I taught guitar. We had somebody on our team that was a mechanic. So he taught kind of fixing up engines. And, and we just did what we knew. We just, just kind of taught him what we knew. And... And along the way, we realized, you know, how much that they had taught us. And I'll never forget when we left that ministry. It was probably about a month later or so. And, um, and as we were driving away, the kids knew it was our last day. And they all came out just crying. They were all just crying. And a few of them were like reaching out to us. And we we're driving away like, and we're all just crying. And... Um, and I remember just feeling like, Lord, thank you that you had a better plan than I did. Because if my wife and I executed all the stuff that we had planned, it would have been good. It would have been good ministry. But I wouldn't have been telling you about it right now. It would have been some work that we thought was good, but the Lord had something so different for us and so much better, something that I'll never forget. And as I was praying for us today, um, there was 
a couple of different people that the Lord had put on my heart. And that, actually, let's all stand up. Let's all stand. We're going to sing in just a minute. We're going to worship in just a minute. But um, I thought as I was talking about this, the, the change of plans that the Lord often brings to us, the thing that doesn't look like we thought it was going to look. I felt like the Lord was, was telling me that there are some people here that are deeply disappointed and maybe they're getting a little disillusioned in what the Lord's doing. Maybe you come, come here this morning and you're really disappointed. You're like, I thought life was going to look like this and this happened. I want to really encourage you to come forward for prayer because this is what church is about, right? This is not, church is not a place where you come and you just sing all your favorite songs and hear a compelling sermon and then you go home. That is not what church is. Church is that place where you come and you confess your sin to one another. You bear, bear each other's burdens. It's something that strengthens you for the rest of the week to keep following Jesus. And if you came here this morning feeling a big weight of disappointment, I want to encourage you to come forward. The Lord, I think, wants to reveal something to you. And we've had some people uh, this morning already come forward. We've actually had a, a, a couple people I know of for sure that prayed to accept Jesus this morning already. Um, and yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I mean, just so you guys know too, um, it's happening all over the country and it's happening at Living Streams too. We're seeing people give their life to Jesus and it's awesome. And that, that's the Holy Spirit's job, not our job, right? Um, and the fruit of what God's doing has been so incredible. So the first person is somebody maybe who's very deeply disappointed in what's going on. Please come forward for prayer. Uh, the second person is what we would call uh, the prodigal. And um, I was asking the Lord, okay, what kind of prodigals? And he said, I, I felt in particular that there were some people in this room that followed Jesus real strong for a while. Maybe you did in your youth, maybe you did in college. And then for whatever reason, just walked away from the Lord. And this morning, you're feeling just racked with guilt. You're feeling like, man, I got to clean up before I come back to the Lord. And I want to tell you, you don't need to do that this morning. The prodigal son messed up a lot. And he re rehearsed all the things he was going to tell the father to go, look at all these things I'm doing. I'm so sorry. I'm coming back. And before he said a word, the father interrupted him and hugged him, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, gave him a place of honor. If that's you, if you feel like this morning you've been walking away from the Lord and you want to come back, today's a really good day to do that. You don't need to clean up. You don't need everything perfect. But our prayer team would love to pray with you. So if that's you, please come forward for prayer during the next song. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, that your ways are not our ways. We thank you that your plans are not our plans, Lord. We make plans, but you order our steps, as it says in Proverbs. So, Lord, this morning I pray that we would be a people that joyfully surrender to you. Maybe we're walking through some stuff that is confusing and we don't understand. Right now we just choose to rest our hope on you. Lord, maybe we're looking at the news and we're looking at the world and we're finding ourselves in a spiral of stress and angst and frustrations, whatever it is. I pray that right now that we would remember that we are part of a different kingdom. We belong to a different kingdom. And your kingdom is not shaken. Your kingdom is not worried. You're not getting up from your throne because you're worried. You're still sitting on your throne, relaxed and at ease. 
So, Lord, this morning I pray that we could borrow that. <laughs> we could borrow that from you, Jesus. Lord, we do, we worship you. We pray that, that God, in our minds and in our hearts, we'd lay out that red carpet, that we would lay out the palm fronds in our heart, that we would welcome you back to the kingship, the place of kingship in our lives. Lord, forgive us for putting anything on the throne of our heart but you, Lord. Right now, we just confess that you are Lord, you're king over our hearts, Jesus. We trust you in the season of uncertainty. We trust you in the season that seems like, in some ways, it keeps getting darker. But Lord, the light of your salvation shines ever brighter. So Lord, I pray that we would see that so much more clearly than we see the schemes of the enemy. And the cross and the resurrection is great remembrance that, Lord, the thing that the enemy meant for evil, you turned to good. The moment that the enemy thought he had won when you were dead and humiliated, you came around and that was actually the vehicle for salvation. Because your plan is better. And we get to live in the light of that resurrection because of it. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.